We're going to pray. We're going to get into our study of God's Word. This is the point in the service that we open His book, and we let Him speak to us directly. And may your hearts find encouragement through that. So, Lord, now as we open your book, be our teacher. By the power of your Spirit, show us the things that we need to grow us in our faith today that we might be better followers of Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my heroes of the faith from recent years is a man that some of you are aware of his life and ministry. He has deeply impacted Christianity at the end of the 20th century and well into the 21st century through his writings and his ministry. His name was Francis Schaeffer. That's a name that's pretty common among Christian people. If you've been around the faith for a while, you're probably aware of it. You might not understand the impact that Schaeffer had to us, but through his writings of books like How Shall We Then Live, through his ministry at Labrie and so on, a tremendous impact to so many of us. Uh, actually, one of my mentors went to seminary with him. And the story that I want to tell you this morning about Francis Schaeffer comes from that period of time. Francis was about 19 years old, and it was 5.30 in the morning. It was the day he was to leave for college to begin his preparations for ministry. His dad, who was a hard-working blue-collar guy, not at all antagonistic towards Christianity, but he did not like the idea of his son going into ministry. He thought that was, you know, don't make your life as a parasite sucking off some church somewhere. He thought Francis had tremendous abilities and a great mind, and uh, Francis Schaefer had been training in mathematics for a long time through high school and so on. He just, he thought his son was going to be a mechanical engineer. And so on the morning that Francis had decided to leave for college to prepare for ministry, his dad said, would you get up early with me at 5.30? I want to talk to you one more time and share with you what's on my heart. And of course, Francis knew it was coming. His dad was going to ream him out for going into ministry as opposed to going into mechanical engineering. Francis got up that morning and... Uh, his dad began the process of, son, please don't do this. Please don't go to that school. Please don't prepare for ministry. Make your living doing something worthwhile for mankind. Be, use the gifts God's given you as a mathematician and so on. Use your brain. I don't know what that says for the rest of us in ministry. You know, I've often thought about that, thinking about this story. But uh, Francis Schaefer, in that moment of time, asked permission of his father to go down to the basement and pray to see God once again on this issue. So he goes down to the basement, and he's crying, and he's just weeping. He said, Lord, I don't want to disappoint my dad. He's telling me what he wants me to do, but I believe you're calling me for ministry. I don't know what to do. And, and we do not recommend this as a path for discerning God's will. But he reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a coin, and he said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm going to flip the coin. Heads, I go to ministry. Tails, I do not. I follow what dad says. Flips the coin, catches it. It's heads. Got to go to ministry. Francis said, Lord, this is a really important, uh, we got to go two, two for two here, Lord, not just one for one. Yeah, maybe that was coincident. This time I'll flip it. If it's tails, I'll go for ministry. If it's heads, I'll do what dad says. So he flips the coin again. It's tails. Got to go. Lord, be patient with me one more time. He flips the coin again, this time saying, Lord, if it's heads, I will go to ministry. Flips the coin, heads, 
three for three. He ascends back up the basement stairs to his dad, says, Dad, I love you, but I got to do what God's called me to do. I got to go into ministry. His dad was upset and disappointed. He left for work. Francis Schaeffer headed for ministry. God gave him a great and amazing ministry, far exceeding anything any of them could have imagined. Easy to look back and see the answers, isn't it? Boy, when you're right in the middle of it, though, it is so difficult. This story underscores the truth of our passage this morning. As important as family is, there are times you have to go against what the family says to follow what Jesus says for your life. Some of us may need this more than others today, but this is a passage where Jesus, he gets it, he understands, and he gives us some perspective on this issue. This is a very difficult part of the Christian faith. Family is very, very important. There's no question, and Jesus is not saying family's not important, but there comes a moment when if the family is not in alignment with God, you have to remain in alignment with God, and this is a difficult thing. It's exactly what Francis Schaeffer faced. I'm reading today from the Gospel of Mark. We continue our study in Mark. We're in chapter 3 beginning at verse 31. Open your Bibles there, please. Hard copies, digital copies, whatever. Those of you at home, follow along, and we will read this interesting section regarding Jesus and his family, the family that he grew up in. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in, the, in a circle around him, and he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I want to begin my commentary on this passage by talking about the situation because I want us to be sure we have clearly in our minds what Jesus is doing here and what this situation is and how sharply it contrasts with his family. When you look at the situation in verses 31 and 32, I've outlined or I've highlighted here on our screen uh, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Down at the end of the passage, your mothers and brother, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Obviously, there's two groups here, mother, one person, and brothers, the second group. In order to understand this situation and what's happening here, to give you a context for it, you have to go back to some verses we looked at last week which introduced this passage. For example, looking at verses 20 and 21, last week we looked at the passage, then Jesus entered a house, again a crowd is gathered, so the disciples weren't even able to eat, they're pressed so unbelievably by the opportunities for ministry. Then when his family heard about this, 
They came to take charge of him. We've underlined take charge of him. It's the word for to arrest him or take him by force. They went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. They think he's lost it mentally. This must have been a very difficult moment. I mean, the two groups that are here for his brothers and for his mother, Mother Mary. Starting with his brothers, they, his brothers are not believers in him. We know this from John chapter 7, verse 5, where, where, the, where the gospel of John says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. In Matthew 13, his brothers are named. The passage says, isn't this the carpenter's son, his mother's Mary, aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas with us? And that's not Judas Iscariot. There were a lot of Judases in that day. His brothers were not believers. They think he has lost his mind. I mean, they had grown up with Jesus as their older brother. He was the perfect older brother. And the perfect older brother claimed to be God. You have an older brother or an older sister and they're claiming to be God, you're going to think something wrong with them too. This is where Jesus' half-brothers lived. They didn't believe in him at this point. They would later. One of Jesus' brothers, James, would become a great leader in the New Testament church, as I said last week. In fact, James would even write the epistle of James that many of us love in the New Testament. One of his other brothers, Judas, or Jude for short, wrote the New Testament book of Jude. These men became believers. But at this point, they come to get Jesus because they've grown up with this guy who is claiming to be God. He is in their minds, foolishly thrown away a possible career as a carpenter to become an itinerant preacher. He's run all kinds of numerous conflicts with the religious leaders of the day. In fact, the religious leaders of the day are looking for a way to destroy him. So his brothers are hearing this and they're thinking, we better go get Jesus, save his life, save his hide, get him out of there and try to help him. So they show up with Mary. Now, this is a very interesting section on Mary. She shows up with the half-brothers of Jesus. Perhaps this is the most humanized passage on Mary in the Bible. Now, I know a lot of different sections of Christianity teach a lot of things about Mary. And here at Calvary, we've got people from Catholicism through all branches of Protestantism. And some of you who are newer don't necessarily know that yet, but that's because we have chosen not to focus on things that divide Christians, but instead the essential doctrines that unite us. So while our beliefs in different branches of Christianity might vary, regarding Mary, in this passage, she shows up with the half-brothers of Jesus, perhaps confused, perhaps wanting to protect her oldest son from the younger sons, but not knowing what to do. She knew about the miraculous birth. The angel had appeared to her. She knew who Jesus was. Maybe, humanly speaking, there were doubts. We don't know. But she shows up with the brothers who intend to take Jesus to save him, if you would. That's the situation here. Now, Jesus, 
he knows his brothers mean well, but he also knows they're off track. And he has a job to do, and he will not be derailed by his brother, by his mother, by anyone, because he must do the will of his father. So he views his brothers as sincere, but sincerely wrong. When the request comes in for Jesus to go out and meet Mary and his half-brothers, Jesus responds with some words that really rock the boat. His teaching is verses 33, 34, and 35 have not only rocked the boat in that day, but have rocked the boat for centuries since then, right down to this present day. Jesus responds with a question, first of all, who, who is my mother and my brothers? He knows full well who his real biological mother and half-brothers are. He responds with this question. Everyone's shocked. Nobody ever expected Jesus to say something like this. This is not exactly the kind of sermon I would probably, a text I would pick for Mother's Day sermon. It's a tough one. As I think of Mary and her response, I think back to the time where Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple and they met a very godly man there named Simeon. Remember him? And Simeon prophesied over Jesus and told Mary that a sword would someday pierce her very soul. She stood at the foot of the cross and watched her son, Jesus, crucified. A sword piercing her soul. I wonder if when she heard Jesus' reply, his questionnaire, who, am I, who is my mother and my brothers? I wonder if she got a little stab out of that one too. Had to have hurt. This question that Jesus is posing, it doesn't sever family ties. That's not what Jesus is out to do. But it is a startling reply, and it has really shocked a lot of people through the centuries. Jesus is not being disrespectful toward family. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made the concept of family. It's very important. And even while Jesus hung on the cross, he committed the care of his own mother to John. Family's important to Jesus. What this passage is saying is there's something important, even more important than biological family. Jesus is not being rude, but he does understand that his brothers are off track and they've come to take him and protect him from himself and from others. Nobody's expected this comment from Jesus. And then, to make matters worse, he says, here are my mother and brothers. Here they are in front of me. He is te teaching a deeper spiritual truth about kinship and family for those of us who follow Jesus. He is teaching that a kinship with Christ, with our Heavenly Father, with our brothers and sisters in Christ 
is even deeper spiritually and eternal than the biological family. When you and I surrender to the will of Christ, we are bound to him, and we are therefore bound together. Some of you today, as you sit here, have more in common with the people you're seated with than you do with your biological family who do not follow Jesus. See it? This same passage here in Luke, uh, in Mark chapter 3, is taught in the Gospel of Luke. It's also taught in Matthew. The same story is repeated. We get some extra details when you look at Luke and Matthew. For example, Luke says in this passage, he says, My mother and brothers are those who will hear the word of God and put it into practice. So the emphasis is on obeying God, being committed to his priorities, following him. Allah Francis Schaeffer, a father who means well and says, please don't go into ministry. And Francis says, but God's calling me. He chooses to obey God rather than his father. These are difficult things. In the Matthew passage, Jesus actually looks at the people sitting around him, and Matthew says it's his disciples. These are my brother's sisters and mother. These ones that follow him. Jesus is now elevating the eternal family over the biological family. This is a tough saying. In the closing moments of this sermon, I want to emphasize two implications to this and try to bring this to where we live today as best I know how. I want to talk about family and I want to talk about church, those two implications. First, family. Jesus is stating that there is a higher priority than biological family. It is the eternal family of God. The Word of God tells us that God created three institutions. He created the marriage and family, He created government, and He created the church. Interestingly here, family, marriage, very high priority. God made it, but he's saying something is even more important than that. In Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sends out his disciples, he says these words, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace between God and man. But the message of Jesus will divide people. He goes on and he says here, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his very own household. This is a quotation and allusion to the Old Testament book of Micah chapter 7. This was God's plan all the while. Because some people will simply choose not to follow God and other people will choose to follow God. And this is going to make a big difference in the way we live out our lives. So God is saying, yes, marriage, family are very important. Government is very important. Church is very important. But there's something more important, the eternal family of God. 
Matthew goes on in this passage and he says, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You want to find your life? Give it up to God. Follow him and you will find things about life that you never dream possible as you serve him. Clearly, Jesus is saying you can't love biological family more than him and his priorities. In another passage, he said it this way in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and sisters, yes, hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There is a higher calling than biological family. Here he uses the word hate, which seems so harsh. Is Jesus telling you to hate your biological family? Is this grounds to leave them out totally and just do what you think God has for you? No. We really believe the word hate here is a comparison word. It's a figure of speech saying your love for God ought to be so incredibly strong that even the love that you have for key people in your life, like your biological family, it should pale in comparison to your love for God. He's top priority. There are higher priorities than biological family is what Jesus is teaching here. Christianity never promised us an easy road. There would be suffering, there would be crosses to be born, to carry. Sometimes our Christian faith divides us from our biological families. This is hard. If you're in that place today, and as you follow Jesus, your family wants nothing to do with it, please understand, Jesus gets it. His brothers didn't believe in him. Stay faithful. Realize that you have a different set of spiritual priorities. Jesus is saying we can't follow those who are closest to us and allow them to derail us from following the ultimate of what God, our Heavenly Father, has for us. Now, it doesn't mean you give up on your biological family. You love them, you care, you try, you pray. You try to influence them toward the Lord. But they will make their choices just like you will make yours. And sometimes the gospel divides us from the people that are closest to us in this world. It is very possible that some of you today are feeling guilt and conflict over this very issue. Some of you have children and grandchildren that are wayward from the Christian faith, and your heart is torn over this. It is understandable. But you must continue to wholeheartedly serve God. They will make their choices just like you make yours. 
There are places in the world that when people desert their faith and follow Christianity, their families totally write them off and want nothing more to do with them, will not even speak to them again. The gospel divides between people who follow the gospel and those who do not. There's a second implication beyond family, and that is the church. Some of you are somewhat divided from your biological families. Some in your families have chosen not to follow Jesus or perhaps not follow him at the level they should be following. And they live by a different set of priorities than you do. Welcome to the family of God where the people around you should have the same priorities as you do in total sellout to Jesus Christ. Now, we're not perfect people as we follow Jesus, but we're doing our best, and we're not even going to allow our families to derail us from that. Some of you are experiencing strained relationships in your biological families. But here, people around you who know and love and serve Jesus, with these people, there's no conflicts over how you celebrate Christmas or Easter. Monies you give to further the cause of the gospel in your biological family, those and other things can be tremendous conflicting points. But together here, we are bound closely together over the priorities of God and this family will endure forever. The biological family will pass in time. If your family is turning from you because of your Christian faith, welcome to the family of God. Some of you had very poor upbringings and it wasn't even over Christian faith. And you heard over that. Welcome to the eternal family of God. We ain't perfect, but we follow Jesus together. A couple of weeks, three weeks ago, I introduced you to some new priorities that we're beginning to pursue here as a board of elders at Calvary, dealing with things like small groups. I told you I'd be telling you more about that. It's here in the passage. I'm going to emphasize it again today. With COVID, a lot of our small groups shut down. A few of them continue on. But our board is absolutely convinced these relationships in the family of God are critical. We need to create environments where the family of God can support each other and grow relationally together. Yes, we would like to mend our biological families, but let's face it, for many of us that is impossible, humanly speaking. But we can develop strong and healthy relationships with each other in the eternal family of God. We'll continue to do what we can for our biological families and to love them. But the lines of priority have been drawn for us by our Lord Jesus. 
and together we must follow him. But we can't simply come on Sunday mornings and sit in the same row of chairs with somebody else or share a cup of coffee together, a donut. It has to go deeper, and we can't do that in Sunday morning structures. But in groups of 8, 10, 12 people, you can get into each other's lives when you meet and pray together, and you can support each other through the difficult things. You can hold each other accountable. That's why these smaller group relationships have been so integral in the church for 2,000 years. And today, because of COVID, we can't desert that. We've got to get back to it. They are critical. The Lord Jesus has given, a, given us a mission of sharing the gospel. And together, we are committed to that in the family of God. Perhaps this kind of a sermon, as difficult and as out of left field as it might seem, perhaps a sermon like this helps us to understand the words of David in his psalm. Psalm 27, where he says in verses 10 and 11, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. See the biological family and see the family of God. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Now, please don't go out of here today saying, Pastor Dan's down on the family. No, he ain't. We're saying the family is critically important, but there's even a higher priority than that, the eternal family of God, because Jesus said it, not because I'm saying it. Jesus made this the highest priority. So if you're here today and you are disappointed with your biological family, whether it's over Christian issues or not, There is a family of God that God himself has instituted, his family, of people that are committed to his eternal priorities, an eternal family, and you can be a part of that. And we're sure not perfect. And there are occasional conflicts. But one thing is true. No matter in spite of our differences, we are all committed to the highest priorities that exist the priorities that Jesus himself set. Where's your mother and your brothers and your sisters? Look around you. Hopefully it includes some of your biological family, but if not, here is your eternal family. Here online today and in this room, if you're here and you're not a part of the family of God, we invite you to join. It means recognizing that you are a sinner, very estranged from God. God will not allow your sin into his heaven. It has to be dealt with. It has to be punished. But God loves us so much, he sent his own son, Jesus, into this world, and he punished his son, Jesus, on that cross for your sin and mine so our sins could be forgiven. You need to believe that. And when you begin to believe it, God brings you into his family 
and you're a newborn baby in the family of God, and you get to grow up with other people that have been here longer and can help you grow in your faith, and that's what the family of God is about. We're created. We are, we are here and committed to the highest of all priorities, the priorities that Jesus has set. Hopefully, members of your biological family will come along. But this is really high priority, very important stuff. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Perhaps this is a moment of time where you wish to become a part of the family of God. We invite you to do that. You can make a simple transition of your faith from trusting yourself to be good enough to get to heaven to trusting in Jesus to forgive your sins. That's what will make you a member of the family of God. And you can just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Just tell them in your own words. I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus died for my sin. Thank you. And you will be, as the Bible says in John 3, born again. And you'll be born into the new family of God, a whole new family, an eternal family. Thank you, Father, for this difficult yet challenging section, challenging us to step up and trust you and live for you no matter what happens, even with key people in our lives who go a different direction. May we be faithful to follow you. Thank you for your eternal family that you allow us to be part of, to find support and camaraderie and love and appreciation and a, a life of commitment to the highest priorities of all. We surrender to that in Jesus' name. Amen.